0: Anyway, it is good to be here with you. It is good to have this relationship, and I'm glad to be a part of what's going on. I want us to look at Psalm 23, or excuse me, Psalm 39. It's just when you say Psalms, you go to Psalm 23, right? Psalm 39, and I'm going to be reading from the NLT, the New Living Translation, so I know some of you may not have it, so it's going to be up here on the screen. And so let's read through this together. Uh, and the psalmists is saying, and this is David who's writing this psalm, But he said, I said to myself, I will watch what I do and not sin in what I say. I will hold my tongue when the ungodly are around me. But as I stood there in silence, not even speaking of good things, the turmoil within me grew worse. The more I thought about it, the hotter I got, igniting a fire of words. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. We are merely moving shadows on all our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth not knowing who will spend it. And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you. Rescue me from my rebellion. Do not let fools mock me. I am silent before you. I won't say a word for my punishment is from you. But please stop striking me. I am exhausted by the blows from your hand when you discipline us for our sins. You consume like a moth what is precious to us. Each of us is but a breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cries for help. Don't ignore my tears, for I am your guest, a traveler passing through as my ancestors were before me. Leave me alone so I can smile again before I am gone and exist no more. Father, I pray that you will speak to our hearts today about the truth of the words of the psalmist today, that we would see the depth of his despair, but also hear his cry of hope that he has here as he reaches out to you in this difficult time in his life and the message that we can find the message of hope here for each one of us speak to our hearts now in Jesus name I pray amen a couple weeks ago uh, we were hosting a barbecue for church planners at our house and as we were getting things ready uh, as you always know, when you're doing things at your home or when you're getting ready to host people, there's always those last-minute details that uh, seem to fall through the crack. And while we seemingly thought we had everything ready, we were uh, finishing up preparations on a Saturday morning. My wife looks at me and says, we forgot plastic spoons. Of all things, plastic spoons, you've got to have plastic spoons at a barbecue, right? We were having baked beans, so you have to have plastic spoons, This is a medieval times type of thing. We were going to ask them to eat with their hands. So I jumped in the car, and I was going to drive to Kroger to get these plastic spoons. Kroger, from our house, is about a seven-mile drive, so it's not that bad. So I jumped in my car. I'm going to drive to Kroger. We live kind of out in the country, outside of White House, so I'm driving to Kroger. Uh, Some of you may know where that's at, right next to 24. I'm going down Waterville, Neapolis Road. I'm going to give you the context of where I'm at, just so that some of you may know exactly where I'm talking about. As I'm going down through there, I oftentimes like to put my cruise control on because I can tend to get a little heavy-footed. So as I'm going down that road, I've got my cruise control on. I look up ahead of me and I see a gentleman at his mailbox. And I I give you this context because out in the country, if you know that what often happens is the mailbox is across from your house and you have to walk across the street to get your mail. Now, just giving you that context, I'm barreling down the road, coming up on him. But in my mind, I'm thinking he's got plenty of time to get his mail and get back across the road. He happens to look up and sees me barreling towards him and he's thinking he's got a rush. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking maybe I ought to back off a little bit and make him not rush so much. But I'm thinking there's plenty of time. And I've got the tunes going. I'm enjoying myself. I'm thinking about what's going to happen. And he hurries up. And I could just see that he seems to become anxious about this moment. He hurries up, grabs his mail, slams the mailbox shut, and runs back across the road. I thought he didn't really need to do that. And as I wished on by, I looked in my rearview mirror, and I see him shaking his fist at me. At least I think it was just his fists. And I thought, oh my goodness, I didn't mean to upset that man. My high prohibitive conscience kicked in, and, and all of a sudden I wanted to go back, and I didn't want to ruin his day. I thought I should go back and apologize, and, and, and thought, well, I didn't mean to make him rush. I didn't mean to, to ruin this, and, and, and I seriously thought about, you know, as a person of grace, I'm going to go back and make this right, and, and I thought, you know what, he's probably not going to receive that, and... You know, it'll probably be all right, and he's going to get over it, and we'll just go on. And I was just a couple miles from Kroger, and I thought, I need to get there. I need to get the spoons. I need to get back. My wife wants me to get home. So between the two miles from there, that incident, and by the time I get to Kroger, I got to thinking about this. I got to thinking, I did nothing wrong. I thought, he shouldn't have got mad at me. This man was taking it out on me and lashed out at me and... And my goodness, I did absolutely nothing wrong. All of a sudden, I quickly got over my high prohibitive conscience, and I no longer was feeling guilty about what had taken place. In fact, I got a little incensed. I thought, why was he getting so angry at me? And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, I'm on a mission for God. I'm getting spoons for church planters. How dare he raise his hand against me? Now while I'm walking through the aisles at Kroger's, I'm all of a sudden thinking of 1 Samuel chapter 24 where it says, Do not lift your hand against God's anointed. And I'm thinking I'm going to go back and tell him that on my way home. <laughs> Fortunately, the Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of my heart and I chose not to do that as well. But isn't that how we get sometimes? We start running things through our minds. And things happen to us that we have no control over, and we get incensed about them. We, we get offended by them, and we think that we're in the right. And because nothing can be done about it, we run all the scenarios about what needs to happen. And we get ourselves all worked up over these things. That's partly what's going on here with David. And as we read through this psalm, and as we read through especially these, these first few verses, David says that all he could think about was the action that had been taken toward him. David apparently has had something that has occurred, and, and, and he's wanting to lash out. He's wanting to react, and he's wanting to, he's wanting to take some kind of action, but he can't. His, his enemies are watching him, and he's having to be the bigger person here. And, and we don't really know the situation. We don't know the, uh, what exactly took place, but we know that he has to use some restraint. But, but what he says is that all I do is I, I just, I just sit here and I dwell about this. And, and as I sit and I dwell about this, and as I think about it, the turmoil grows within me and it becomes worse. And the more it becomes worse, the hotter I get. And he just sits and and he, and as he explains this, he's sitting and he's going, this is unfair. We know this because what he ends up doing is because he can't lash out at his enemies, who does he lash out at? He lashes out at God. He lashes out at God and he says things like, this life that you've given us is just fuel. It's just short. It's nothing more than the width of a hand. It's nothing more than a breath. And I know that you probably have heard sermons about this, this very psalm that have told you to number your days and to, and to figure out just exactly uh, how much time you have. And, and all of that are good points. And I think there's a, there's, a, there's a perspective there that we can have and a principle that we can learn. And we should understand how short life is. But I want you to understand what's going on in David's life at this moment is that he's not trying to give us a principle of telling us how short life is. He's ticked off. He's ticked off because he's in a situation that something has occurred. He can't do anything about it. And he's saying, what's the use? It's all just folly. It's just futile. In fact, Lord, all I can do is I can just think about how brief my time is. Uh, Remind me, my days are just numbered. Life is fleeting. My life is no longer in just the width of my hand. It's nothing more than a breath. And that's what happens with this internal wrestling that is taking place because he hasn't been able to let go. And all he ends up by saying all our busy rushing around ends up in nothing. And if we're not careful, if we just allow all this internalization of what happens to us in life when we say life is unfair, we might find ourselves in the same situation. And it culminates with David coming to verse 7 when he cries out in despair and he says, And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? Where do I put it? What is there for me? And he makes this declaration. He says, My only hope is in you. I want you to understand what's going on here. David um, makes this declaration and he answers this, but I don't think that he's making this out of a heartfelt testimony. David is making this out of uh, a cry of anguish, out of a cry of despair, out of a cry of frustration, out of a cry of anger. But yet, even in that, it is a confession of what is true in his heart even though he's at this moment of despair even though he looks at it and he says everything around me i i can't possibly see how this is going to work out to any good i do know that i have a hope in you In fact, the same psalmist that is saying this to us, David, is the same psalmist that wrote that great Psalm 23 that says, The Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. And that is the hope that we have. So even though he may be in great anguish, and even though he may be in great frustration, and he may even be in a place of anger, nonetheless the impact is the same. For what comes with the realization is that he has a hope in God, and for you and I, that hope is still true today. And so, a question that I would ask you have you ever been angry with God? Have you ever been frustrated with God? Have you ever been in a place in your life where life seems unfair as things happen to you that are beyond your control? I know they have with me. I was 14 years old and I heard the diagnosis, you have Ewing sarcoma, bone cancer. It changed my world. I did nothing to get that bone cancer. I did nothing to deserve what was going to happen two months of radiation and two years of chemotherapy. It was tough for me in my high school years. And in the midst of that, I found my only hope through that trial I found Jesus Christ there was a time where and by the way my wife always tells me when I tell that story I forget to tell you that my last chemotherapy treatment was 1978 God has done a tremendous work yeah that's worth clapping for but there's been other times that things have happened that have been unfair. We were serving in Missouri, and it was in 1993, and uh, they had a flood, and we were serving in the floodplain, and it was what they called the thousand-year flood. And uh, we were helping to do flood recovery, and we were getting ready to come back uh, home and for a break, for a vacation. Uh, We had been working for a year, had been Uh, helping people mud out and helping them rebuild. And we were tired. We were exhausted. We were ready to come back here to Ohio just to see family and relax. And the night before we left, we got the call that my wife's brother had taken his life. And so instead of coming home for relaxation, we were coming home to a great deal of anguish. And I was coming home to bury a brother-in-law who took his life at much too young an age. That was incredibly unfair. And nothing that we could have done about it. And I could go on and on and on. I I think about a time that I was out in California. I was uh, nearly 3,000 miles away from my wife uh, serving on what's called an ICE team doing inner-city evangelism. And I get a call from my wife who says, I just went to the doctor and they found a mass in my stomach and they want to do an MRI. This was on a Friday. They have got it scheduled for Sunday morning. This is how critical it became. Just to give you the end story there before I forget that, it turned out to be a benign tumor. But she was panicked. And again, I had to look at God and say, I am out here on mission for who? For him. What is up with that? There were times that I was frustrated and angry for God. All of these things that I was doing for him and doing good, and yet some of these things took place, creating a great deal of anger. Yes, anger, frustration, and anxiety in my life. And in the midst of it, what I was looking for were answers. And you know what? I didn't get any answers. You know what I got? I got presence. I got the presence of the shepherd who said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will always be with you. And you know what I've come to find out? Much like David, that was enough. He was all I needed. And so in this, I can tell you that if you'll hang with it, even though these were all beyond our control, and even though we do nothing to deserve them, and even though it seems incredibly unfair, God is your only hope. He will see you through. For David, what came out of that, out of his rant, as you'll see in verses 8 through 11, came this cry of repentance. Because what we're going to find out for David... Even though all those things I just described were things that were beyond my control, sometimes there's things that happen in our life that are within our control. Because what we discover here is David deals with this matter, uh, that his situation was due because not at the hands of others, but his own doing. Apparently, it was some sin that he had committed. I mean, listen to his words. He said, rescue me from what? My rebellion. He says, my punishment is from you. When you discipline us for our sins, it consumes me like a moth. He ends this by saying, each of us is but a breath. David finally gets to the crux of the matter. Now, we don't know what it is. We don't know what the sin is. We don't know what it is that he's uh, confessing here, what he's dealing with. But we can see that he is a man that is broken, that he is tired from the battle of the sin. But what we also see is the pursuit of the Father. He doesn't give up on David. Isn't that good news? This is why he's also our only hope. You see even if we find ourselves in the midst of a place where we find ourselves in anguish and in frustration and in hard places where things are going incredibly difficult and incredibly wrong, guess because of our own uh, actions, our own decisions, our own choices, guess who doesn't give up on us? The Father, the Good Shepherd. He will pursue you. He's relentless. He won't let you go. He loves you that much. I mean, we understand that from the New Testament when he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross. For your sins. To forgive you. To bring you in the right relationship with you. When he raised him from the dead, that we might be raised up and seated with him as well. This is the good news. And David, who, who is sitting here, who is complaining to God, who's who's lashing out at God, who's, who's complaining about the futility of life, is also helping us to understand and discover in this moment that it is his own sin that has put him in this situation, but he is also given us a picture that God is not letting him go. God is pursuing him. David goes on to say, he says, it will wear you out. And I want you to know that if we don't deal with our sins, it will wear you out. And by the way, you need to be honest about it. You need to be honest about it. You need to to own it when it's your fault. You need to be honest when it's the situation that you find yourself in. When you know that you're out of relationship with God, when you know that the, uh, the, the, uh, the uh, separation that you feel, the loneliness that you feel, the isolation that you feel from God, even the conviction that you feel from God, and you know it's because of what you've done, let me use a, a simple illustration. How many of you have ever gotten a speeding ticket? Oh yeah, oh yeah. The rest of you have just lied. How many times have you gotten a speeding ticket or some kind of traffic violation and you've gotten that ticket and you went, Tick. and on the other side of that, you've seen somebody else speeding or doing something, you go, where's the cop when you need one? Why do you feel bad when you get a speeding ticket? Because you got caught. Simple as that. I know I'm kind of posing that on you but i bet if we were honest that's true if you didn't feel bad because you got caught you wouldn't be speeding anymore right we'd all obey the traffic laws and it's the same way with sin god's called us to be holy and he's asked us to be holy. He's asked us to follow his commands and submit our lives to him. And so we need to pursue that. But we do wrestle with that and we do step out of those bounds. But thank goodness that he offers us forgiveness. Listen, don't just feel bad because you got caught, be broken over your sins and ask him to forgive you of your sins. He's ready, as, as uh, First John tells us, to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness and restore us into full relationship with him. But we have to own it. And by the way, you can never say that you fell into sin accidentally. None of us sin by accident. It is a conscious decision when we step in to sin. We choose to do it. And so choose to be honest with God. Because if not, it will wear you out dealing with it. Because guess who's not going to give up on you? God. If you're his child, he will pursue you. And I'm just telling you, life's going to be miserable until you get it right. That's the good news. I want you to know that's good news. Because he wants the best for your life. He wants you to be whole. He wants you to know the good shepherd. He wants you to be able to lay down next to uh, good water and cool water and in those green pastures. And he wants you to know the good shepherd in such a good way. He wants you to be set free. He doesn't want you to be in this place where David is because where David ends up is David just cries out for mercy. Mercy. And we ought to cry out for mercy, but hear David's crying. And and I'm going to read this from the message, and, and, and I know I just messed up the media, guys, but this last verse I'm going to read for you is out of the message, because I think Eugene Peterson captures the heart of David here. But just listen to these words. He says... Ah, God, listen to my prayer, my cry. Open your ears. Don't be callous. Just look at these tears of mine. I am a stranger here. I don't know my way. A migrant like my whole family. Give me a break. Cut me some slack before it's too late, and I'm out of here. David is tired of dealing with this, and he's asking God simply to give him a break. David thinks he's near death. He thinks his life is just about to be over. And he just wants a little bit of peace before he's gone. And he simply just cries out to God, Give me a break. You know what? God's okay with that. And God understands it. You know, I can't help but think of someone else that wrestled with some of this same stuff. But I think he wrestled with it a little bit differently. Not quite as much drama, I don't think. I think of the Apostle Paul. You know, Apostle Paul had some similar battles. He had a thorn in his flesh. We read about it in Second Corinthians. And he asked God to remove that thorn. he said, three times I've asked you to remove this thorn from my flesh. And three times God said no. But this is what God said to him. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. He is his only hope. Paul goes on to talk about this in Romans 7 where he talks about uh, wrestling with the old nature. And Paul in Romans chapter 7, he says, I know the things I ought to do, but yet I do those things I don't want to do. And you and I know that as we walk through this life. I can even remember driving down here this morning and praying and trying to prepare my heart for this and and just asking the Lord to make sure I kept my focus on him, that, that indeed it would be all about Jesus. I love that song, Give Me Jesus. I'm so glad we sang that this morning. And, and, and Paul says we all rest. And I'm thinking if Paul wrestles that way, I, I feel a little bit better about myself, but sometimes we want to excuse our behavior because of that. But Paul doesn't leave us there because he ends the chapter and he says, is there any hope? And he answers the question. He says, yes, there's hope and his name is Jesus. I love the end of that chapter. He says, there is hope. We can overcome the wrestling because if we put our hope in Jesus... And he moves on then into Romans chapter 8. And we already heard this verse this morning, and it's great. Because he moves right out of there when he says, I wrestle and I know the things I ought to do and the things I don't want to do, and yet I do those things I shouldn't do, but is there any hope for me? And his name is Jesus. And when I trust Jesus and I submit my life to Jesus and I live in Jesus, what ends up happening is I live this life of freedom and forgiveness and, and, and holiness, and I understand this so that there is now no condemnation in me because I belong to Christ Jesus. And Paul goes on to tell us in this great chapter in verse, uh, chapter 8 of Romans that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. I love it. Neither life, angels, demons, fears of today, worries of tomorrow, the powers of hell, the power in the sky above, or earth below, creation can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. That is a wonderful promise of hope. And that's who we have in Jesus Christ. Listen, we can cry out in despair. And we can cry out in repentance. And we can cry out for mercy. But we must always know that we always cry out in hope because we have one who provides hope for us, and his name is Jesus. Trust him. Give your life to him. Submit to him. Live in him. Dwell in him. Know him. Would you pray with me?